This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. Welcome in. Uh, we are here at the scene after the uh, Houston Rockets 110-98 win over the Indiana Pacers, game in which James Harden put up a monster night, 45 points a season high for him, set a career high. Uh, with 33 points, uh, career high as far as uh, uh, in a half, 33 points in the second half alone uh, as the Rockets sort of held on in the fourth quarter after blowing them away in the third, going up 24 points. Uh, There's a lot to talk about, and um, I'm here again with my good friend M.K. Bauer from the Sports Exchange as well as Culture Map. And M.K., I say this all the time, but it truly is a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate the opportunity, Dave. You know, this game, it's sort of a mixed bag because what we saw, you know, against Golden State uh, was was so disappointing uh, for Rocket fans. So it's almost, uh, you know, anticlimactic to come in here and face the Pacers. But, you know, the Rockets did take care of business, uh, and James Harden had such a monster night. Uh, how crazy would it be if this guy does not start the All-Star game here for the West? It's unfortunate. I think we all recognize that the All-Star game, or the voting for the All-Star game is a popularity contest, and we're still... Um, as fans or fans of the league are very much deferential um, in terms of dealing with Kobe Bryant and, and understanding that he's in the, in the midst of a swan song for a fabulous career, Hall of Fame career, quite, quite obviously. And he's going to get the, the votes according to that. And I get that. that. That's fine on some level. I'm not overwhelmingly offended by that. Clearly Harden is the best two-guard in the league or at least the best two-guard in the West if you're going to you know, you know, break it down in a micro point of view. And he deserves to start. He's not going to get that opportunity because people want to get Kobe in there for maybe one final time as a starter in the All-Star game, and, and that, that's understandable. It's going to be an embarrassment, I think, uh, overall. People are going to look at it, and uh, you know we've seen similar situations. I remember Vince Carter several years ago. We've seen Yao Ming start the All-Star game in seasons where he played four or five games, was injured the whole year. So it's, it's not uh, unprecedented, but it is going to be pretty interesting that a guy who is number one or number two on most MVP boards uh, may not start the All-Star game, which uh, t- to me is pretty fascinating. But he had an incredible game tonight. Coming off of a rough game for him, though, in which we saw the Warriors, I, I, to be honest with you, the Warriors team uh, was one that I've, I've considered to be good but really didn't scare me against the Rockets when they're fully healthy. Um, this opened my eyes. I, I, I can honestly say that. I have to put Harden as number two right now. I thought Curry, uh, it, you know, given how strong that team is defensively, they are clearly number one in, in defensive rating. Uh, and how efficient they are shooting the ball, um, and, and Curry leading that team. To me, I, I have to put Curry number one now, Harden number two in the MVP race, and I think uh, Golden State is is the team to beat, and the Rockets are going to have another crack at them this Wednesday. I hate being a slave to the narrative of the best, the best player on the best team gets the award, but they're so overwhelmingly better than everybody else at this point right now 
speaking of the Warriors, it's hard to kind of turn away from that. And, and Curry, if you're going to have the kind of numbers that he's had, you know, scoring 24 a game, eight assists, and shooting the way he shoots 50, 40, 90 on the best team in the league, it's hard to deny him um, some sort of credibility as an MVP in this league. And, and as great as hard it's been, in my mind, it's a coin flip if you're comparing greatness, if you're comparing impact on a particular team. And obviously, Rockets fans will, will be labored to the point of, this team was hamstrung by injury for a long stretch early in the season and Harden carried them to a fantastic start. You can't deny him that. But in the same vein, to your point, Curry's been outstanding. And he's been outstanding for the best team in the league. And yes, Clay Thompson has been great. And yes, they have so many other weapons with Draymond Green maybe being an underrated MVP candidate on that own team. It's, you can't steer the argument away from Steph Curry at this point. I think it's 1-2 Curry Harden, not 1-A, 1-B. And that's fine. Again, that's not to discredit one player or the other. I think there's plenty of time left, half a season yeah. remaining, for one guy to gain some sort of advantage over the other. If the Warriors come back to the pack, maybe that happens for James Harden. If Harden keeps playing at this level, I mean, goodness gracious, 27 points, 7 assists, 6 rebounds, that's going to really bang on the door in terms of a lot of people understanding how great he's been this season for this team. And if the defense continues to improve, if the Rockets finish with a, with a home court advantage in the first round of the postseason, it's going to be a really tough vote, I think, in terms of how you split hairs and give it over one player over another. Yeah, and I think it's one interesting angle on that is the fact that I think offensively Harden is probably more by himself than you would consider Curry to be. I mean, Clay Thompson is an incredibly efficient shooter uh, as well. But but you hit the nail on the head, in my opinion. I think Draymond Green is what really has changed that team, made them a very strong defensive team. I mean, all across the board, they've got four or five guys who are super long, athletic, can shoot the three-pointer. It, it, you have to pick your poison constantly. I mean, they, they move without the ball. They, they can defend. Defend, they can shoot the three. They can go to the basket. I do think that you know I don't want to say it a fluke, but I mean I don't think it's that much of a difference between the two teams. Like what we saw, I mean it was a complete and utter rout uh, in that second half. But but still, I you know we're going to see this team uh, get another big test coming up here. You've talked about something I think that's kind of interesting, and that's the chemistry between. Harden and Dwight Howard. Uh, there was a play tonight, and I'm just taking one play and, 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 and bringing this up where I thought Harden, you know, attacked. Uh, Howard rolled to the basket with him, and Harden could have just easily sort of flipped it over his shoulder right to Howard for an alley oop. Didn't see him. It, it seems that that maybe, you know, these are two very good players individually, but the chemistry between them maybe is not quite there. I think in my mind, when Howard signed with the team prior to last season, what I envisioned was not two individually great players playing on the court. I thought there would be a meshing of their talents. And and a lot of people have, have you know groaned over the amount of post touches that Dwight Howard gets because he's not the most efficient post-up scorer. He has his games where he's very good, but by and large, it's a roller coaster watching him perform that way. And I think, and I'm not alone in saying this, seeing Hart and Howard work in concert either in the pick and roll, either in the two-man game, isolating them on one side of the court while having the other three players on the other side. I would think you would see more of that because Harden is a willing and efficient passer. Dwight Howard is a willing and efficient, well, willing passer at least. Um, and you would think that those two guys would have a better understanding of how to play with one another more consistently yeah. than they've shown thus far. We've seen it in fits and spurts. We saw a great opportunity tonight where they executed the pick and roll both for a Howard dunk and then one other time in the first half 
where they ran some really good action off of faking the pick and roll and got an open three for Jason Terry on a second pass out of it on the opposite side of the court. So it can be done, and it can be done more frequently than it's been done. And Kevin McHale addressed that tonight in pregame in terms of getting more guys to understand how to attack with Dwight Howard rolling to the basket either for the alley-oop because a defender has come off of Howard to help on the drive or finishing that play because the defender did not come over to help. I'm just surprised that we haven't seen it more with those two guys together because I just think that it's a strength of both of their individual games to work collectively to form a great scoring tandem. But, you know, yeah, they've had their moments this season. I don't think they've had enough moments together being great offensive players. Yeah, no, I think you're right. We haven't seen like we haven't seen those games where they're both really going off for 25, 30 points uh, in a game. It's usually uh, one or the other, and it's usually hardened, uh, to be honest with you. But, uh, you, you know, D- Dwight, we, we talked a little bit about uh, his free throw shooting. It, there was a stretch there where, uh, you know, I, I tweeted tonight he had made 20, over 20, uh, 20 of 24 free throws over the last five games. He went two for seven from that point uh, tonight. But uh, still, I'm somewhat encouraged by the fact that he looks a little bit more calm, a little bit more fluid at the line. I, again, it's small, small sample size, knock on wood. But for Dwight Howard to make 20 of 24, it's sort of somewhat encouraging sign. Uh, you know, we can easily get wrapped up in how great Harden has been, and he has been phenomenal in the first half of the season. I just think that the, the, where this team is going to head, the, the potential for this team ultimately in the postseason, is going to rest on how consistently Dwight Howard plays. Free throws are going to be a small part of that because he's going to get fouled a lot. He has to consistently give you a better free throw shooting percentage than 50% at this stage of the season. And I think he has to be a more consistent offensive force. And, and again, I, I would shy away from just dumping the ball into him and watching him work because I don't think that's an efficient use, usage of the, of the personnel on this team. Um, I think they like to play with pace. Feeding him in the post negates that. I think he can be a very effective player in the pick and roll, in a two-man game, scoring off of putbacks. Um, they don't do that enough in my opinion and I just think at some point he can't be the kind of guy to where we walk into this court and don't know what we're going to get out of him and I feel like we feel like that more often than not there are going to be these nights where he goes off for 19 points in a period and then other nights where he gets six shots and he's getting a lot of points at the free throw line if he's making them and he's contributing defensively or he's contributing on the glass I just think that he's going to have to be a more consistent offensive force for this team, for them really maximize their potential. And I'm not saying post-ups. I'm saying in every aspect available. We haven't seen that right now. Until we see that, I don't think this team is going to get over the hump because that's the only way they can really maximize what they are as a, as a, as a personnel grouping. He's a better center than anybody else in this league or in the Western Conference is going to make the playoffs. Yeah. Boogie Cousins notwithstanding because Sacramento's not going to be in the mix. You have to take advantage of that. There's no point in getting him here if he's going to be a middling offensive player and a good defensive player. He has to be great on defense and very good on offense for, I think, this team to thrive. Let's talk a little bit about Josh Smith. Last time we uh, did a podcast, we were talking about how we thought he was going to sign here. It looked like it was going to happen just based on some of the rumbling here. It did happen. He's now played 15 games with the Rockets. Uh, a very polarizing figure. Obviously, his, uh, you know, him coming here and the Pistons, uh, he was controversial at the time cutting him. The Pistons have sort of taken off uh, since that time and have become a, a good team, at least they, they're by their records since then. 
Uh, and Smith has been, I'll just say a mixed bag before we, we, we both uh, offer some thoughts on what we, we've seen from him. What have you seen from him? I know you weren't a big fan of the idea of adding him, if, I've, if I'm That's saying correct. that correctly. What do you think now after watching him? He's so erratic. And, and what's interesting to me is the good Josh Smith is so tantalizing, an exceptional passer. And we knew that, but to see it live, it kind of blows you away on occasion with how good he is passing. The second pass out of the pick and roll, outstanding. Sometimes in transition, really good at finding guys in the corners, understanding the offense already, knowing that either a Jason Terry or a Corey Brewer is going to be stationed in the corner and how to get those guys the basketball in prime shooting locales. Very, very good at that. But my goodness, we both sit here and groan a lot yeah. when he takes shots that he should be taking. The whole, the whole he, arena does. He seems unable to resist them simply because he's wide open, not understanding that he's a 20% three-point shooter at this stage. And I just wish, and it's, it's, it's wishful thinking because he's pushing 30 years old, that he would better understand his own skill set yeah. and how it fits in with this team offensively. Everything else is there. I think the defense has been very good. The rebounding has been so-so. The passing has been very good. Even with the turnovers, I like what he's given his team passing the basketball. He just can't continue to shoot so many three-pointers or even really perimeter jump shots, period, Mid- mid-range jumpers. He has to stay away from that. But I think people have been saying that for a long time. And he's not going to stay away from it. Driving to the basket, getting to the paint, scoring in the near, and there, drawing fouls is the best way he's going to impact the team offensively beyond passing. Until he becomes that player, yeah. I think we're all going to be a little bit frustrated with the highs and lows of Josh Smith. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I, I, I love the signing and the fact that I didn't think it cost them anything. It cost, it cost them Tark Black, who, you know, obviously was a, a, a decent role player, filled in admirably without Dwight Howard cost them $2 million with their uh, biannual, biannual exception. It, it didn't cost them anything. So, so a lot of times people will, will bring up the Pistons uh, sort of story and say, why did we add him? And, you know, there, There's really no cost. There, there was nothing significantly risked by adding him. However, uh, you know, I, and, I, and there's so many things that I love about Josh Smith. I, mean, I think in the very first game we saw some, what he's capable of. I think people have mentioned uh, sort of him adding a Lamar Odom uh, type of ability to this team, and I've seen that at times where he gets the ball in the high post, attacks the basket, will turn around, uh, drop in little hooks. I think fantastic uh, in the sense that you, he gives you a lot of options when you take Dwight Howard out and when you play him with Dwight Howard. The free throw shooting has been an issue, but really the two biggest things, you hit the nail on the head with the, the three-point shooting. I think, you, know, you would think that he would get this. He's 6 of 30. He's shooting about two threes per game. And some of them, I, I can't remember the, how long it's been since I've really been concerned with a player with shot selection, like consistently. You know, okay, maybe a guy took a bad shot, and but this is a, a consistent issue, I think, with him maybe taking a quick three after an offensive rebound or not swinging the ball around the perimeter uh, when it needs to be done and pulling up for three. And then one other thing is the jump pass. I think there's been a lot of times where he'll he'll uh, come down and he'll jump and you know sort of like he, he is a terrific passer like you nailed it but I think that the jump passes have gotten him into trouble with some of the turnovers at times. He's a little bit exuberant from that perspective and and to the point about shooting, it's interesting watching him deliberate sometimes shooting the basketball like he'll be wide open and you see him thinking you see the the, the wheels turning in his mind of should I shoot this basketball and we're all thinking no don't shoot the basketball but I think there's a compulsion within him that says I'm wide open shoot the ball and I don't think you ever get an NBA player who's done this for a long time to back away from that line of thinking so that gets back to my point about it being wishful thinking he's going to keep shooting that basketball if he's wide open and he sees the rim and no one's coming out to close on him or run him off that three-point line he's going to shoot because it's difficult just to dribble into a harder defense and sometimes I think for him it's difficult to reset the offense when he thinks I can make this shot because I'm so wide open 
him being wide open does not mean he's going to make the shot. His, his three-point shooting percentage proves that. But he'll never back away from that. And I think to some extent we all have to accept that. Maybe he'll lessen the amount of shots he takes in those situations, but I think he's ne- it's never going to completely go away. Let's talk about another guy they've added, and that's Corey Brewer around the same time added him. You know, I, I was not sure what to make of him. I, I, I you know, I thought, hey, he's going to add a, um, you know, somebody impact the defense here, but uh, you really can't shoot the three. How's he going to really fit into the rotation? What are your thoughts on how he's blended in with this team? I think he's been fantastic. And, yeah, we've seen some mean regression on that three-point shot the last <laughs> yeah. six games, six, seven games, and that was to be expected. But, man, he really runs hard on defense, uh, on offense in terms of transition. He plays hard on defense. He pushes the tempo. He provides a lot of energy for that second unit, and I think energy they need. Um, I don't know how much energy you're going to get from Jason Terry in the second half of the year. You may have to kind of hold him back a little bit to save some of that for the postseason. But seeing those three guys coming with the headbands on, you, you feel like you're going to get some sort of burst one way or the other, either Josh Smith attacking the basket, finding guys in transition, or, J- or, or Corey Brewer just going bananas out there, going for steals, scoring in transition, attacking the basket all the time, playing with the energy uh, of a vibrancy that this team needs, that second unit needs. And I think he's been great. You know, it's easy to focus on Josh Smith because he was the more heralded acquisition. But I think Corey Brewer was one of those sneaky good pickups by, by Daryl Morey that may define his team in the second half. If he continues to find a way to settle in with this team and, and define his role with this group, and I think it's almost set, he's going to be a great addition to this team in the second half in the postseason. Yeah, you know, I think every home game we've been to, we've seen the opponent, some opponent, uh, from Dwayne Wade uh, tonight, Louis Scola, just talking about how difficult it is to deal with this team now, with Josh Smith, with Corey Brewer, that they have a lot of length and the and they attack the passing lanes that make it extremely difficult for you to pass the ball. Uh, that's been a consistent theme, so I think Corey Brewer adds a ton there. Uh, you, you mentioned the uh, regression t- you know, to the mean on the three-point shooting. Obviously, he came out uh, smoking hot in the first nine games. He had, I think, 20 of 44 threes, and, and I jotted down the last seven. He's seven of 33. So he has you know, crashed back to earth in that regard. But I think there's an element as well that we thought, hey, you know, Harden and Ariza are going to – they were playing heavy, heavy minutes. Uh, and and took a, taking a look at those uh, numbers now, in the 26 games before the trade, Harden was pushing 38 minutes, Ariza 39. Um, I think he shaved off four minutes per game on Harden, uh, seven minutes per game on Ariza. Those guys are getting more rest, but I think what's even more impressive, and again, it may not be directly because he's getting more rest, but Harden's numbers, he's scoring more points per game in those fewer minutes now because he's been much more efficient. Again, that's maybe not be specifically because of those minutes, but I think the the purpose of the trade and giving uh, Harden and Ariza some some uh, more breathers has, has worked in that regard. It'd be nice if they had a secondary ball handler to give Harden even more of a breather. Oh, that's the I, big I, thing I, that's t- missing. Tonight was the perfect example. I don't think under any circumstance Kevin McHale intended to put James Harden back in that game. He had a 24-point lead late in the third quarter. You should have coasted in on this one against a team that has challenged scoring the basketball in Indiana. And that second unit just came in there and just gave it up. The turnovers, poor passing, poor execution offensively. You had to wrangle control of that game back from the Pacers by putting James Harden back in the game. And look, again, He's shooting, what, 45% from the field, 38% from threes, 89% from the line. He's been extraordinary. Yeah. You're dumping too much responsibility on him yeah. by asking him to do so much. And watching him work offensively, set other guys up in the first half, do all the scoring in the second half, pound, pound, pound the basketball, find a shot, find another guy's shot. It's way too much for him, I think. Even though he's young, even though he's dynamic, it's too much on his plate. 
and I don't know how you address this with what may be out there as the trade dialogue, deadline approaches, but right now you're getting nothing in terms of facilitation from Patrick Beverly. You're getting very little in terms of stability from Jason Terry running the second offense. It's all on James Harden, and I think at some point that's going to be the bugaboo yeah. for this team because they, they haven't found a way, even with the additions of the players that, that we've mentioned, even with them scaling back his minutes somewhat, they, I think they would prefer to scale it back a little bit more if they had another guy that you could trust up there on the court to run the offense and get other guys shots or get himself shots. Yeah, I mean, when they, when teams when they can throw a lockdown defender and at least give Harden a, a tough time, make him an inefficient player, I mean, this team struggles to score. Uh, the, they just don't have the guys who can create and attack the basket like you would like. We've talked about Goran Dragic, and obviously Phoenix is, seems to be, I don't want to say all in, but they seem to be going for it, and nothing has, has indicated that they're going to you know, take a step back and, and, and make a move. There is, it is an interesting scenario because obviously he is up for, he's going to be a free agent. He can opt out of his contract this summer. They're going to have to pay him quite a bit to stay. Uh, but it, right now, it, you know, unless things change over the next month, the trade deadline is exactly a month away. You're not going to be able to get Goran Dragic, and, and they need somebody like that. Whether it's a Ty Lawson, I'm not sure that Lawson's the exact right fit, or or somebody along those lines. And I think a lot of people ask about Isaiah Cannon, frankly. I mean, he's down in the, in the D League right now, and there's got to be some sort of trust issue, I think, with Mikhail for him to be behind Shved and behind Terry. Um, and, and this could be a showcase issue because the trade deadline is very important for this team. But uh, Isaiah Cannon, a guy who can create his own shot, but is down in the D League. I think when we talk about the Harden Howard dynamic, when we talk about Josh Smith, when we talk about the consistent shooting of Trevor Ariza or even Corey Brewer, that's nitpicking. The glaring weakness on this team is no secondary ball handler or facilitator. That's the, that's the Achilles heel. And I think at some point, we saw that with Golden State, you're going to see that being exposed once you get into the postseason because the Rockets don't have anybody else that can take the pressure offensively off of James Harden. I thought you made the point, kind of, you kind of slid in there about, you know, what Dwight Howard can give you, but so much is on James Harden at this point. It's all on James Harden. And I think they have to find a way to alleviate some of that burden on him. And until they do that, you can't really view this team as a legitimate title contender. Obviously, a very, very good team, a team that should advance in the postseason. Advance two rounds, advance three rounds. I don't think it can be done as presently constructed. They have to find someone to help James Harden out. Is there anybody that you can even think of? And we've talked about this before. Maybe there isn't. That uh, might the, be available. Yeah, I mean, that's is, the point. We've, yeah. we've focused so much of our hopes and pinned all our dreams <laughs> on Dragic's tweets. Right. You know, <laughs> yeah. that to see that it's not going to happen, and I agree with you. I think Phoenix is all in. They, they understand the value of just getting to the postseason. Look, you know, people talk about there's no value in getting to the eighth seed. Daryl Morey would disagree with that. I would rather be in the postseason and see what could possibly happen than to keep falling out of it and, and relying on draft picks to maybe bolster your future. I think there's some value in playing in the playoffs, particularly with that young team, particularly with the way they've been constructed, particularly with how close they got last year. If they can get in there this year, there's, there's a great amount of value in that, and I think they are all in with the addition of Brandon Wright and kind of circling the wagons with their current roster saying we can go forward with this group. So I don't think Dragons goes anywhere, and I don't see a second guy that entices me the way Dragic has enticed me throughout the course of this season. You know, I will say that uh, some po- slightly positive news on the trade front is that uh, the Pelicans are, you know, right now Anthony Davis is sitting out. They just lost to the Knicks uh, in New York. Um, they're, they've dropped down below 500. I think the West, it, it, it's still nuts. You know, you talk about Phoenix and they're in on this, and there's really only there's only so much room. Phoenix, OKC, uh, you know, possibly some other team that starts to slump. Somebody's not going to make the playoffs. And then not only that, you're going to be able to list eight teams. Four of them are going to be considered massive disappointments just because mathematically they ha- 
four teams have to lose in the first round. Uh, you know, Les Alexander recently talked about uh, it wouldn't be a disappointment if this team lost in the first round. A lot of fans on, on our board were upset about that. Um, but just mathematically, four teams are in the West, and they're so close, are going to lose in the first round. And it's kind of uh, it's pretty crazy to think about. It's difficult to wrap your mind around the fact that San Antonio quite possibly won't have home court advantage. Um, Dallas may not have home court advantage. Houston is in a perilous position of slipping back into fifth place. Even if Oklahoma City gets in, can he make enough of a run to catch San Antonio for seventh? I mean, you may be looking at them as an eight seed playing Golden State in the first round. So it, there's a lot of stuff that has to play itself out in the second half of the year. And it's going to be so intriguing because, let's be honest, I think if New Orleans was completely healthy, that's a playoff team. But they're not. So you have ten playoff teams in the West vying for eight spots. And the competition is, is absurd. Based on that, there's and I, I disagree with Les. You have to get out of the first, the first round. You've been in the first round two years in a row. You've got James Harden one year. You got Dwight Howard the next year. You have them now for two years together. The goal is not to have them get into the playoffs. The goal yeah. is to advance and develop and grow as a unit, as a franchise, as a team. You can't do that by losing in the first round. They blew it last year against Portland. It's going to be that much more difficult this year if they have to play in Dallas or in Memphis or yeah. in San Antonio in the first round. It's, it's, it's frightening. But you have to find a way to get around that and advance and keep, and keep getting better as a core because, as you've noted previously, the core of this team is going to be here to stay for at least a couple more years in James Harden and Dwight Howard. Yeah. And, and it's just, but it's just, and you're absolutely right. It's just still funny to think about because I think a lot of those things could describe the Clippers. I mean, you look at Blake Griffin and Chris Paul or, or the Mavericks. I mean, the, uh, the Warriors. If any of those teams were to lose in the first round, it. I mean, it would be considered it's catastrophic. Yeah, massively disappointing. And that's what's so strange is you've got so many teams in the West that believe they can contend for the title, uh, and so they're just gonna, they're setting up for the table for a, a lot of disappointment. The only team in that group that just wants to get in is Phoenix. I think yeah, everybody that's else. Exactly right. Everybody exactly else is trying to advance. Oklahoma City's trying to advance to try yeah. to win a title. Dallas got Rajon Rondo not just to get back in the playoffs, exactly. to try to contend for a title. The same for the Clippers. I mean, now you're looking at Paul and, and Griffin have been there together for a couple years now. It's time to win a title. So it's not about getting there. It's about advancing and advancing again. And that's an awful lot of teams with their sights on advancing. The Spurs, the Clippers, the Warriors, the Blazers, the Rockets. That's a lot of teams whose goal isn't to qualify. It's to win the West. And that changes the dynamic of every team involved, including the Rockets. It's not good enough just to get in. You yeah. can't settle for that anymore. I want to ask you one uh, last thing before we, we wrap up, and that's just the, the defense in general. Rockets still currently ranked number two in defensive rating. Uh, there's a big gap between them and the Warriors. I think the Warriors are around 96. The Rockets are on, around 99. I think two through seven is pretty close. Um, so, you know, it is a great uh, ranking to have, but, again, it's, it, it is very close. Have we overrated this team defensively? They went into Orlando, gave up 120 points, gave up 131 at home here to the Warriors. Um, and, 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 I and I want to attach to that as well some of the issues we've seen with the starting lineup at times where they just go into a funk where they turn over the ball, they defensively uh, uh, fall apart. I think we saw it in stretches in the fourth quarter here against Indiana. What's plaguing this team suddenly where their defense was so strong early uh, and now has slipped, or was it just a matter of competition? I think they've come back to the pack based on competition. They've just played better teams of late, and they're going to be challenged. And I think you can't blame it on any one guy. I've been a little bit skeptical of the way Patrick Beverly's played defensively. I don't think he's been at the same level he had been previously, and that's a problem. Um, I think just by and large, there's, there's, and I hate talking about energy and effort because you should never discuss that, but 
there have just been moments where their energy hasn't been very good. I think they've kind of gotten fat on their own belief of how good they are, and they feel like they can just outscore teams. I think Orlando lost is a prime example of that. Yes. There's no effort at all defensively just thinking we'll just outscore them at the end of the game. And they have to commit to that identity, and, and maybe that's, that's going to be the struggle. You know, you, you began this year completely reinventing yourself as a team, as a defensive outfit. Yeah, yep. And then as everybody has kind of come back healthy and you filled in all the gaps with the acquisition of Brewer and Smith, I think this team has kind of bought into we're an elite offensive team. And they've kind of backslid a little bit in terms of what they had done in the first half of the first half of the year. you got to find a way to get back to that. And maybe that's not the real personality of this team. Maybe that team became a good defensive team because everybody was hurt and they had to scrap and claw and fight. And it was easy to do that defensively. Now that everybody's healthy, I think they've kind of bought into we could be an elite offensive team like we were last year or the year before that, and they've kind of gone away from that. There's no way they can be one of the best teams in the West without being a better defensive team than they've been the last couple of weeks. They have to find a way to embrace that again. Yeah, there were a couple plays I know late in Orlando that uh, I really thought uh, cost them the game. One was that Beverly uh, sort of ball watching and Oladipo just cut to the lane for the wide open dunk, and uh, the other one, of course, was the Channing Fry three pointer that pretty much put the game away or made it a four point game late um, and Harden was really slow to rotate and he and uh, Dwight both stayed on Vucevic and basically Ariza and, and Demo were stuck trying to cover three perimeter shooters that were spaced well and they whipped the ball around and Channing Fry got a wide open three pointer and, and put him up four so I thought defensively uh, down the stretch was uh, a, a collapse there so they've got to get back to that it's, so hey we got a great test coming up again Wednesday uh, against the Warriors and uh, hopefully it'll be a more competitive game love to see the Rockets come in there and take that game rather than get swept by the Warriors this year. Uh, MK, any other thoughts uh, before we uh, call it a wrap? Yeah, it's interesting. We're halfway through the season. I think, by and large, we have an idea of who this team is going to be moving forward, but clearly there are some things they need to to adjust as they move forward, Um, just embellish some certain aspects of the team that are weak right now. And I think that's the most intriguing part about it. I, I don't anticipate a significant roster adjustment from this point moving forward because, as we discussed, I think who they... I, who they aim for mostly at guard is not going to be available. And so if they make another move, it's going to be a smaller move, maybe smaller than what they've done thus far. So this is kind of it. Yeah, You're standing pat with this group, and you have to move forward with this group. So seeing how they adjust, A, to becoming better defensively again, and B, providing some offensive help for James Harden is the most intriguing aspect of the second half of the season. Thanks so much, man, for coming on. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you. Thank you.